I want to say thank you to Kent for uh, creating this concept several, several years ago and continuing it. I know it was especially difficult for Kent this year. Appreciate him so much and his ministry in this area. If you are not uh, typically with us on Sunday mornings here at Clinton FCC, I want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. And I want to talk for just a moment about Memorial Day, why as Americans we do Memorial Day. It's a United States federal holiday, and uh, for the last several years, it's always been observed the last Monday of May, this year, May 25. Used to be known as Decoration Day, and this holiday commemorates United States men and women who have died in military service to their country. And it began first to honor Union soldiers who died during the Civil War, but after World War I, it was expanded to include those who died in any war or military action. Uh, it's a great weekend. Uh, the Indianapolis 500 takes place this weekend, and it has on Memorial Day weekend since 1911. But we must never forget what Memorial Day is really all about. Many people observe this holiday by visiting cemeteries and memorials. A national moment of remembrance takes place at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And another tradition is to fly the United States flag at half-staff from dawn until noon local time. Uh, this morning, uh, in light of why we are gathered together here to remember loved ones lost, I think it's very appropriate for us also to take time and, and thank those men and women who have served our country. So if you are a veteran, I know it's not Veterans Day, but if you are a veteran, I'd like to ask you to stand at this time, please. Can we say thank you to these men and women? Please stay standing. Please stay standing. Amen. Amen. I'd like to pray at this time. Let's pray. God, thank you for the men and women that stand before us. Thank you for that object lesson that we can't see enough, that freedom isn't free. And I'm so thankful that we worship this morning in the United States of America, where we have the choice whether or not to come and worship. There are brothers and sisters gathering right now that are worshiping um, in hiding, they're worshiping in secret because they don't have the freedom that we have. Father, let us never take for granted the difference men and women make who are willing to stand up and serve their country. Thank you for each and every one of them. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Yeah, clap again. That's great. Thank you. Memorial Day is a holiday that's dedicated to remember, to take time to remember. And I would challenge you tomorrow at 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock Central Time, um, in the midst of your picnic, uh, your holiday weekend, to take time to pause and to remember. But in light of our Remembrance Sunday, in light of uh, the men and women that have served our country, I would like us this morning to remember the difference that Jesus Christ makes. The difference that Jesus Christ makes. I want to invite you to grab your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, grab your pew Bible. 
and turn to the very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Some of you, you may be a little nervous right now. Don't worry, we're not going to try to figure out, are we talking about helicopters, or I'm not going to talk about when when, uh, the rapture is going to happen, anything along those lines. But in Revelation chapter 1, we have uh, the Apostle John sharing a vision that he has received. This is late in his life. He's actually being persecuted as he writes this book. He's been exiled to an island, the island of Patmos. Can't even stay in Ephesus, the place that he's ministered for decades. But before he gets to the vision, before he gets to the letters for the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, he's giving everyone who will read this letter a very important lesson about who Jesus is, what Jesus Christ is really all about. In Revelation chapter 1, beginning with uh, the the middle part of verse 5 and all of verse 6, I think it gives us a beautiful snapshot of who Jesus is and why Jesus matters for us. See, every Sunday we gather together. Every Sunday we share communion. Every Sunday we sing songs of praise. Every Sunday we, we crack open the Bible and most Sundays we study Jesus Christ. Why do we do that? Is, is it just a tradition? Is it just something that, that we do to start our week off right? Or is there more to it than that? John says there's more to it than that. Listen to these words from the Apostle John. He says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The really smart people that write commentaries, they call this a doxology. It's a song, it's a teaching song that teaches us about Jesus. But what I want us to see this morning are are, are three statements, three action statements. One is present, one is past, and one is future. And they tell us the story of Jesus. They tell us why we should be here today. And while it's good to remember those who have passed, it's good to honor the men and women who have served our country. The most important thing that we do is remember Jesus Christ. Remembering Jesus Christ. John helps us remember what Jesus means to the believer. And number one is this, Jesus Christ loves us. Jesus Christ loves us. This is a present tense verb. It's an active verb. It's not Jesus Christ loved us. It's not Jesus Christ will love us. Jesus Christ loves us today. It's an agape kind of love. Agape is one of several Greek words that's translated love. But agape love is not the kind of word that you'd use to say, I love pizza. Or I love the Chicago Cubs who who are coming quick. or, or, Or any of those other things that we love in life. No, agape love is an unconditional love. It's the highest form of love. And John says, Jesus Christ loves you. If you are not a regular church attender, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, hear me loud and clear. Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you more than is humanly possible. There's a verse of scripture in the book of Romans that I think really articulates what this love is all about. It's an unconditional kind of love. Here's what the apostle Paul says in Romans. He says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's an unconditional love. And the, the, the key term in this whole first point is, is an unconditional love. And really, that's radical. Because I don't know about you, much of my life is based on conditions. Uh, I'm expecting to receive a paycheck. I think it's going to be later this week. And, and I've come to depend on that paycheck. And many of you who work, it's the same deal. If I just decided that I didn't want to be a part of uh, you know, Monday through Friday anymore, if I decided I was going to be on the one Sunday a month plan in terms of showing up on Sunday, the paychecks would probably stop at some point. You know, I, I have an obligation. And, and if you work, you do as well. That's conditions. How many of us have kids? I, I have a ninth grader at my house. And, and we've given him some freedoms. But those freedoms come with a condition. Uh, you will be able, be able to drive a car if your grades are at a certain level. And if you behave to a certain standard. And if he doesn't do that, uh, the car keys come my way. He doesn't have the freedoms that, that he might want to have. That motivates him. That's a conditional love. Jesus Christ. Unconditional love. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Number one, Jesus loves us. Secondly, not only does Jesus love us, but John says Jesus Christ has freed us from our sins by his blood. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. Blood. Do you like to think about blood? I, I don't really enjoy talking about blood. Um, it kind of is disgusting, quite honestly. When, when I'm bleeding or somebody else is bleeding, it's not really a joyous occasion much of the time. I just spent the last week in Chicago, and on Thursday afternoon of, of the conference, we had some free time. So we went walking on Lakeshore Drive and visited Soldier Field and the Art Museum and Shed Aquarium. And as we were coming back, one of my friends who's a preacher wanted to, to rent those little blue bikes. If you've been in Chicago, you know the little blue bikes. And yeah, I, I don't think I want to rent a blue bike. And um, here came the Segways. You know what a Segway is? Well, Segway has two wheels and it's motorized. You can really fly on it. And my other friend, Ed Bacon, was commenting about how uh, affordable the Segways are and how safe the Segways are. And like on cue, two people on Segways crash into one another. I mean, like on cue. And, and, and the lady's saying sorry and the guy's bleeding. And, um, and I look over and, and you know, everybody's gathering around. There's a big crowd. And, and then you see the blood. And you realize it's not just a silly accident. It's going to go away. That blood symbolizes trouble. And you call an ambulance. This young man thought he might have broken his hip. He's going to have to get stitches on his arm. Blood does that to us. Jesus Christ allowed his blood to be shed because I'm a sinner. Because we are sinners. Because we miss the mark. I love the old hymns. I'm not very good at singing the old hymns, but I love them. And one of my favorite of the old hymns is nothing but the blood. Listen to these words. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not for good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. The first verb that John used was a present tense verb, agape. Now he uses a past tense verb that shows an action that took place 2,000 years ago, but it's an action that allows us to claim our victory today. He gives us victory today. If you've studied the Old Testament, you know that when the people sin, and all sin, all falls short of the glory of God, but when the people sin, blood had to be shed. And typically it was an animal, a dove, a ram, a lamb of some sort. And so the preacher, when he'd come to church to, 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 to actually do the sacrifice, he probably wouldn't be wearing a nice shirt and tie, maybe a suit coat. He'd have some sort of a, a linen ephod on. And by the time that that sacrifice took place, the white was gone. And it was a bloodstain. How would you feel if I was shaking hands after service today? I had blood all over my shirt. I had blood in my hair and blood on my face. You probably wouldn't want to shake my hand. You certainly wouldn't give me a hug, would you? Jesus Christ became that one time for all time sacrifice for my sin, for your sin. Paul put it really well in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, in him we have redemption through his blood. It's the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. I said earlier that everyone's a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We missed the mark. But because of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and will forgive us of our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. That means the really yucky stuff you've been a part of that you don't want anyone else to know. Maybe no one else knows the yucky in your life. Nobody else knows the, the ghost in your closet. Nobody knows about that thing from 10 years ago or a year ago or a month ago or yesterday. And when you think about it, you get sick. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the forgiveness of sins. The yuckiness is gone because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Key term, forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ freed us from our sins by his blood. Well, Jesus Christ loves us. That's a present tense verb. He's freed us from our sins through his blood. That's a past tense verb. And finally, the Apostle John says, Jesus Christ made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God the Father. And so because we've had a present tense verb and because we've had a past tense verb, it makes sense that John would give us a future tense verb. He's made us to be a kingdom. He's made us to be priests to serve God the Father. For too many followers of Jesus, when you hear the idea of being a priest, being a preacher, being a minister, you just put your hands up and you say, that's not happening. I can't do that. I haven't been to Bible college. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough when it comes to God's word. And the principle that John is teaching right here is a principle the church has to grab a hold of, and it's this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were made to serve. You were made to minister. 
You were made to be a priest. You were made to be a pastor. You were made to make a difference in his name. That doesn't mean that the payroll of First Christian Church will, will, will grow by 500 people. That's not what I'm talking about. But it means that if you're a Christian, don't be on the sidelines any longer. I just spent the week at Moody Bible Institute for a, a, a week with 600 ministers, pastors, whatever term you want to use. And uh, I am fascinated by D.L. Moody. Uh, never really knew a lot about Moody growing up. It's not a big name that we throw out in the Christian church. But Moody was asked one time, how soon after conversion should someone get busy in ministry? How soon after they become a follower of Jesus Christ do they say, here I am, where do I serve? And here's what his answer was. When you light a candle, how long does it burn before it gives off light? What's Moody saying? saying get busy and so if you're a part of clinton first christian church just the obvious challenge with this text is where are you serving but if you're not a part of clinton first christian church i know we have visitors from all around this morning many of you are part of other churches i ask you are are you serving at your church are you involved in ministry at your church let me tell you something preachers love to hear it's when someone comes and knocks on their door and they say, hi, I'm Tom, or I'm Mary, or I'm John, or whatever it may be, and I want to serve in the church. Put me to work. That's never discouraging. That's never bad news. That's awesome. So if you're part of another church, and you're not serving, Tuesday, you have tomorrow off, it's Memorial Day, but Tuesday, go to your preacher, knock on the door. Where can I serve? Why do we do that? Why should we serve? Why can't we just let the preachers do it? Why can't we just let the leaders do it? Why can't we just let the really smart people do it? Peter put it like this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, because you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a people who belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, Peter's saying, you were chosen. You were adopted. God wanted you. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You belong to God. What's the key term? What's the big idea? I'm going to call it ministry, service, loving service, godly service. I love how that chunk of scripture ends. You are the people of God. Jesus Christ has made us to be a kingdom and priests. And so to summarize this morning for you, John gives us three just real obvious, obvious takeaways as it comes to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loves us. Jesus Christ made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve the Father. And Jesus Christ freed us from our sins by his blood. And so on a weekend where we're called to pause and remember, I really hope you will pause and remember. Can I challenge you to also respond? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for...